I want to preach from this thought this morning. What is good music to God? What is good music to God? Imagine you're listening to somebody and they're singing off key loudly, Leanne, real loud. I do this and people are like, will you please stop singing? Now, I don't know, if there, Bobby, if there's something wrong with my voice or or debate. And some of you have recently had that experience. Now, now, if you're musically insensitive, if, if you have a tin ear, it doesn't, it doesn't bother you much if someone is singing off key. If you have a tin ear and, and the singer is your, your child, you may have a bit of pleasure from that singer. But if you're musically sensitive and you have a perfect pitch, you know what the song could be and should be, and you know how far off it is. Don't you hate when somebody messes up your favorite song? I mean your jam. I'm talking about that song that you listen to, and you in the car, and you singing your heart out, and the person next to you is looking like, what's going on in that car? I'm talking about that song that you listen to before you go to work. I'm talking about that song that you in the mirror, you think you sound like Jodeci, but you really don't. I'm talking about that song where your veins are popping outside of your neck. That kind of song that gets you going. Don't you hate when somebody messes up your jam, messes up your cut? Oh, it's a whole other story. How can someone listen to something so painful? It almost puts you in agony. Now I need you to go somewhere with me for a moment. Now imagine listening to that horrible sound minute after minute, hour after hour, day after day, and year after year. Have you ever asked, how does your worship sound to God? Not our singing, but the song of your life. Like, what is good worship to God? What is bad worship to God? How do we know if we are in key? How do we know if our life is hitting the right tone or the right note? The crazy part is us a choir director, but sometimes we choose to ignore the director and we miss our parts. We are like the students on Sister Act. Y'all remember Whoopi, right? Okay, Sister Mary Clarence. Class. Y'all know what I'm talking about. She comes to music. Learn good music. But she gets there and she gets into class and she starts to instruct them and they're ignoring her. What does she do? She scratches the board and it hurts their ears, but it gets their attention. And God scratches the board in the Bible as well to get our attention so that he can teach it. Teach music sounds like. And nobody scratches the board in the Bible like the minor prophets. Now, some of you may be saying, who's the minor prophets? We have not done much teaching. What is known as the minor prophets, these 12 smaller Old Testament book-sized prophecies, they are called minor 
because of their size, not because of their importance and depth, let's be clear. But one thing about the minor prophets is that they don't mind scratching the board to get our attention and to get worship in tune, to get us on the right key so that we start singing God's voicing. So what is good music in the Micah, come here, Micah, direct us this. Prepare your ears as he scratches the spiritual board. Micah was written to Judah, confronting the Jews of the day for their outward only. Let me say that again. Micah, minor prophet, written to Judah to address their outward only approach to God. They bank their relationship with God in their temple attendance, Levitical sacrifices. They thought they were good with God because they went through the motions of Old Testament, the religious boxes. Jesus did the Pharisees century later when he said, You honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Now, check this out. In chapter 6 of Micah, I'm on. Here we go. Yep. Check this out in chapter 6 of Micah. In verses 1 through 5, God says to Israel, Do you realize all that I have done for you? He calls the mountains as witness, for they were there when God brought Israel out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, and defeated his enemies, God says, how am I a weary burden to you? I who delivered you, I who set you free, I who loved you, I who cleansed you up, I who set you free. How am I now a weary burden to you, Judah? You ever been good to someone and all of a sudden they turn their back on you? I'm talking about, I'm talking about you feed them, you look out for them. Some of y'all thinking of your teenager right now. Teens will turn their back on you although they need you. And here's Judah. They need God, but yet they're tired of God. Although God is loving them, they are tired of him. Now now comes the prophet answer, speaking for the people. Watch this. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on a high, uh, 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 God on high? Shall, Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? With calves of a year old, will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams and ten thousand of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sins of my soul? That's confusing to some of y'all, so let me try to make it plain. Here it is. This is the guy who keeps cheating but brings flowers home to make up. And then he takes the girl out to a nice dinner while texting his side piece. Okay, now I'm at your doorstep. This is the woman who hugs her man, but she's thinking about another man. Those flowers and dinner and hugs are nothing but a cover-up to shut them up. He, she doesn't plan to be right, nor do they plan to change. The flowers and the hugs are not signs of repentance, but setting the person up so they can go and enjoy what they really want to enjoy. Okay, friends, let me put it plain. It's called game. And what usually happens in these relationships is the greater the offense, 
the greater the gift. The person gets more gifts and more gifts, and yet the person done wrong is not happy. And they finally ask, the person who's doing wrong, finally ask the person they wrong, what else do you want from me? I gave you flowers. I gave you a date. I gave you hugs. I gave you nice words. What else do you want from me? I gave you expensive cars and expensive clothes. I showed you affection. What do you want from me? And the person replies, I want you to do right by me. I want you to treat me right. Very similar situation here. Friends, God doesn't like games. He doesn't want your flowers. He doesn't want your hugs. He doesn't want your candy. He wants you. He wants your sincerity. And it's not easily noticed at first glance, but there is an escalation of levels of sacrifices here. What shall I bring to God for worship? You can hear him getting the attitude. Ain't that something when people do wrong and then got a nerve to get the attitude with you? Here it is. They got a whole attitude with God. You want us to bring you a calf like they ain't did nothing last night. You want us to bring you a thousand rams? What you want from me, God? Ten thousand rivers of oil? My firstborn? What do you want from me, God? And if we would bring it to 2021, we say, God, I gave to the GoFundMe. What else do you want from me? I cashed out about ten people. I'm broke, God. What else do you want from me? I even signed up for Giving Tuesday. What else do you want from me? What does it take to please God? Sacrificial oil greater than the rivers of the world? What does it take to please God? And our approach to God often looks like this. We think the more extraordinary the sacrifice, the happier God will be with me. We think God is impressed with with our outward things that we do. We look at God and we say, God, I don't smoke and I don't drink and I don't run around with those who do. Look at me, God. I go to church. Look at me, God. I cash out people. And we think we are closer to God and cooler with God because of these things. We think God is impressed with outward holiness. Like Samuel, who was impressed with the other sons of Jesse, but God reminded him. Man looks at the outward, but God looks at the heart. You ought to tag someone and say, God looks at the heart. Listen, God doesn't just want behavior modification, but he wants heart transformation. That sounds so good, I'll play it back. God doesn't just want behavior modification, but he wants a heart transformed. Micah 6.8 helps us to find out our note. And it gets us in tune with the worship God desires us to have. Micah helps us to find the voice of God that in turn helps us to find our voice. Look at what is true worship to God. Look at what is true holiness to God. Here it is. He has told you, watch it, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Watch it. Here it is. But to do justice... And to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Real plain, real simple, right there. Let me read it again. It was three of them. Do justice, 
Okay, here it is. Love kindness, y'all with me? And walk humbly with your God. Real easy. He laid it out. But why is it so hard for us to do it? Israel is confused like an unfaithful bay. What do you mean you don't want dinner in a movie? What do you mean you don't want a home-cooked meal or your head rub, if some of y'all into that? What do you mean our religious ceremonies don't make you happy? What do you mean all our sacrifices aren't what you're looking for? But you know what I found found out about relationships? Sometimes it's not that the person hasn't told Bay what they want. It's that Bay ain't listening. And it's similar with God. It's not that God ain't told us what he wants in a relationship. It's that sometimes we're not listening. You ever got caught not listening in your relationship? Did you even hear what I said? Yeah, yeah, I heard. you. Please don't ask the question. What did I say? You know what you said. You said what you said when you said what you said. You know we both heard what you said. No, you know, don't you hate that when they ask you that question, what I say? You be like, hmm. <laughs> and you be stuck for like two minutes, and all you can do is just repent because you go. And so here it is. God has conveyed to us that which he desires of us, that which he requires of us. And it's not like he hasn't made it plain. It's that we're not listening sometimes. And friends, this morning, I encourage you to listen. Because this ain't Bay. This is the one who created Bay right here. And you need to listen up. He says, I have, I he has told you, O oh man, what is good and what is required. Three things. Each has a quality of character along with an action verb. Do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with your God. And when it comes to worship, there are three ingredients that God requires. He requires justice. He requires kindness. And he requires humility. Just like my oatmeal, y'all. I like my oatmeal a certain way. I want some. Everybody can't make oatmeal now. Now, I like when my wife makes my oatmeal because she, she make the oatmeal right. Every now and then, she tell me to make the oatmeal. I said, oh, they ain't going to eat my oatmeal, cause, but I know what I like in my oatmeal. I want some brown sugar. Now, some of y'all ain't going to get down with it. I gave up milk, y'all, so I'm drinking oat milk, and I need some oat milk in there. And whatever that, whatever else she throwing, I think it's like butter or whatever, it'd be good. Yeah, it'd be real good. Real good oatmeal. And if that oatmeal ain't right, I'm sending it back. And it's the same thing with God. If you don't make his worship oatmeal right and is missing these ingredients, he's going to send it back to you. True worship. First ingredient is justice. Now, isn't it crazy that in a book, that is dealing with phony worship and sacrifices, God tells his people to do justice. What does justice have to do with worship? What does justice have to do with worship and hypocrisy? For the prophet, justice is and justice comes before public ceremonial worship. I need to be crystal clear here. That justice comes 
before public ceremonial worship. In the prophets, God hates and rejects any worship offering from people who do not actually do justice. Micah teaches us that a variety of offerings from burnt offerings to the offering of firstborn child will not really please God. The Lord will not be pleased with even a thousand rams and thousands of rivers of oil. God rejects our worship if we do not do justice. All the offering in the world does not satisfy God if we are the kind of worshipers who fail to actually do justice. Not to talk about it, not to write about it, not to preach about it, not to sing about it, but to do it. And why does Micah tell them to do justice? Because we are tempted not to do justice. Now I need to pause here. Because in our society, justice has become a very, very bad word for all sorts of reasons that are crazy and bizarre. But I don't care if they're presidents of seminary. I don't care if they got doctor before their name. Do not let anyone tell you that God does not care about justice. And and, and if you think it's just the Old Testament thing, go read Matthew chapter 22. And Jesus will declare himself that God loves justice. Why does Micah tell them to do justice? Because we are tempted to give God superficial worship. I'm coming for you. And we need to understand that public worship is an offense to God if we are ignoring justice. Your worship is an offense to God if you are ignoring worship. Here it is. I had to bring some help. Chris, I knew I was going to need it. I knew it. I knew it. That's why I brought it, Bobby, because I know you guys are theologians, you're stoop, you guys know your word, but here it is. I'm going to drop it on you. I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offering and grain offerings, I will not accept them. In the peace offering of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your song. To the melody of your harp, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like ever-flowing streams. True worshipers seek justice. They search it like treasure, hunt it like a hound. True worshipers correct oppression. They take a stand against it, make the crooked straight. They stand up against abortion and misogynies and systems that swallow up black and brown children. True worshipers bring justice to the fatherless. They do not make them come looking for it. We are to deliver it to them. They are not beg for justice when it comes to the church. True worshipers please the widow's case. They open their mouths and speak up for the vulnerable. Take up their cause as their own true worshipers. God is telling you through Micah to get at least energized about someone else being the victim of injustice as if it was you being the victim. In particular, 
Be concerned about injustice to those you might be inclined to overlook. It goes on every day in our world. I'll say this, and I'll move on shortly after from this topic because we don't have enough time. I was once involved in a conversation where people were critiquing other people's worship on Sunday. Yes, they were. And the argument was on whether true worship was how, how still you were in the sanctuary, how animated you were in the sanctuary. They were arguing over whether people should lift their hands. They were arguing over whether people shouldn't lift their hands. They were arguing over with songs. They were arguing over all of this stuff about Sunday. And I said, you don't know whether someone's worship is real on Sunday until you walk with them Monday through Saturday. Mm-hmm, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. Because I don't care how much shouting you do. I don't care how many laps you run around the sanctuary. I know some of y'all can jump. You got some vertical. You can jump over that chair, and it can be real impressive. And I don't care if you lift your hands. I'm going to judge whether your worship is authentic on what you do Monday through Saturday. I'm going to judge whether your worship is authentic based on how you treat your wife and your husband. I'm going to base on whether your worship is authentic on how you treat your coworkers. I'm going to judge whether your worship is authentic on how you treat your neighbor Monday through Saturday. And the Bible says, how can you love God whom you never seen and not love your brother and your sister whom you do see? And so doesn't matter how theological stupid you are, if you can't treat your neighbor right, your worship is not for real. It's fake. It's phony. You playing a game. You don't want to stand up for nobody else but yourself. And I'm sorry to say, but we live in an America, American churches that concerns you with God getting you to your next blessing and your next big house as if God don't care about the person next to you who ain't got a roof over their head, ain't got no food to eat. And all we talking about is God get me to a bigger house, a house that you ain't going to put no Nobody else in, but yeah, you want God to give you a bigger house. Friends, God doesn't care about phony worship. Real worship is seen Monday through Saturday. The black church marched for justice. They were beaten. Dogs unleashed on them. And on the and one of my gripes with the evangelical church is it has ignored the injustice of minorities. And now people are questioning if they really know Jesus, if they really got a heart. A church that doesn't do justice is a church that has lost its saltiness, has put its light under a bowl. You know, on the whiz, the tin man, he wrestled, didn't he, y'all? He wrestled with if he had a heart, Jatika. Yes, he did. The whole movie. As he traveled, as he eased on down the yellow brick road, he struggled the whole time with whether he had a heart or not. Yeah, he was messed up, crying and everything. But in the end, he discovered he had a heart all along. Who pointed it out to him? Good old Dorothy. I love Dorothy. Yeah, Dorothy pointed out to the Tin Man that he had a heart. But how did she know that the Tin Man had a heart? She walked with him. She talked with him. 
She saw his sacrifices for others, and by the time you get to the end of the movie, she says, you had a heart the whole time. Why? Because I touched your heart. I felt your heart. I experienced your heart. Can I ask you a question? Do you have a heart this morning? No, 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 no. Not by your own measurement, but have people touched your heart, felt your heart, experienced your heart by sacrificial living. Far too many churches are self-absorbed in making sure Sunday is great production while ignoring the pains of the world. Too many churches think God only cares about food on their table and not their neighbors. Churches think God is concerned about getting you to your next blessing in your big house and your next plan. And I'm not saying that God doesn't want you to care about you. I'm not saying that God doesn't want to bless you. I'm saying that God don't want you to just be self-absorbed about yourself while you ignore kids that are stuck in the slums in our cities. Kids who are stuck in schools that send them to prison. Yes, we ought to preach Jesus is resurrected, but we show he is alive by caring for justice. And I don't care if they had doctor in front of their name. Don't let anybody think you that God doesn't care about justice. Yeah, yeah. We ought to understand that doing justice is essential to worship that pleases God our Father. And worship without justice is incomplete worship. And it is unacceptable to God, both on a systemic level and on an individual level. Friends, we need worship in the streets and in the sanctuary. Let me say that again. We need worship in the streets in, in the sanctuary. If your worship just stays in the sanctuary and it doesn't make it to the streets, you a lie. You're not real. You're not real. You got to be consistent. But not only does God require justice in your worship, God also requires mercy. Oh, that's something there. Justice and mercy. That true worshipers love kindness and mercy. You see, the word Micah uses is hes. In the Old Testament, it is the word most closely associated with God's loving kindness expressed in the covenant. Yeah, theologians actually wrestle with trying to get a grip on this word. And so they use all kinds of loving kindness, steadfast love. You can't even put a one-to-one -to, -one to it. That's how big and how lofty God's love is. It ain't even, you can't even just use one word to sum it up. But this love is the basis of our relationship with God. It is steadfast love that always seeks to express itself in action. We all love mercy. We really do particularly when, when we are receiving on the receiving end of mercy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Y'all got to help me. My daughter, my daughter messed me up, y'all. My daughter Lila needs to hear this sermon. And she needs to be taken to the waters of baptism. She's four, y'all. She came to me the other day. And she says, Daddy, can you whoop Kai? The girl wanted justice, y'all. She came. She wasn't playing neither. She was serious. I'm like, you know whooping is her. You want your brother to get a whooping? She said, yes. I said, what'd he do? He said, she said, 
he took my toy. I'm like, Kai, give her her toy back. Kai gives her her toy back. And Lila looks at me again and says, Daddy, I want you to whoop Kai. I said, Lila, I said, I said, I said, sweetie, he said sorry. He fixed what he broke. He gave it back. Let's have mercy on him. But daddy, I want you to whoop Kai. She didn't flinch. She didn't blink. She didn't change her mind. She meant what she meant. But uh, she said, I want you to whoop Kai. And I said, Lila, but when it comes to you, you want daddy to have mercy. And God wants us to give mercy. He wants us to give it away. God wants his kids to be rich in mercy. But come on, can we be real? Man, it's so much easier to give mercy. I mean, it's so much easier to receive it than to give it. Have you ever asked somebody wrong you? No, no, no. I'm not talking about a lighthearted wrong you. I'm talking about wrong you like for real. Like, I don't want to talk to you. I didn't, I didn't block you on Facebook. I didn't block you on the gram. I didn't block you on TikTok. That kind of anger. See, a lot of times it's hard for us to give mercy. We, 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 we're, we're kind of a transaction kind of society. If you're nice to me, I'll be nice to you. You scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. That's the world we live in. But we need, watch this, we need both mercy and justice. Justice without mercy is a harsh society. But, Pastor, how do you balance the two? How do we balance mercy and justice? How can these two exist because they seem like a contradiction towards one another? How do I know when I give mercy and when I give justice? Anybody ever been in that dilemma? How do I know when to give mercy and how do I know when to give justice? We preach and we do justice because we wish to be like our Lord and see his righteousness fulfilled in the earth. Teach, Pastor. The pursuit of justice and equity does not take us from the heart of the Savior. The pursuit of justice and equity takes us deeper into the heart of the Savior. We do mercy for the same reason to be like Jesus. But how do they balance, Pastor? You need justice to defend the weak and the person who has been wrong. And without justice, darkness would take over. Now, mercy is for the wrongdoer. It's for the repentant. If someone turns from their wickedness, mercy should be available. The issue in the unbalance is we throw mercy around and don't require repentance. Repentance is the link between justice and mercy. When you don't require repentance and just give mercy, abuse increase, sin increase, oppression increase, power dynamics are thrown off, the marriage is jacked up, the church is jacked up. This is important that we learn how to balance justice and mercy. Because if you don't, the powerful run rampant over the powerless. And you'll notice this. Watch this. You'll notice that God sends his people into exile and he punishes them, not because he is done with them, but to bring them to repentance so that he might be what? Merciful. So God says, I got to deal with you 
because I'm still being good to you. I know I'm roughing you up, and you feel like I don't love you, and you feel like I'm not for you, but I love you enough to love you as you are, but I love you a whole lot more not to leave you as you are. So I'm going to send you through some stuff because I need to get some junk out of you. I need to get some sin out of you, but the moment you turn and say, Lord, have mercy. His arms are wide open for you. God calls for justice in order to bring the sinner to repentance. You see, the Christian heart is always to restore, or it should be. It's always reconciliation, or it should be. But the Christian heart is also to uphold justice so that we don't make a mockery out of God, so that people don't think that we don't care about justice. This is why. When there's a protest against injustice, we show up. This is why we speak out. This is why we wear shirts declaring that justice must be, because we don't want to make a mockery out of God. God does care for justice, but at the same time, if somebody turns, we are quick to forgive because our wretched selves have been forgiven as well. Shame on you if you don't forgive someone after God has forgiven you. All right, I knew it. I know I'm going to have to bring an example because I don't want anybody thinking that pastor's preaching what he wants to preach and saying what he wants to say. I'm going to give it to you. 1 Corinthians. Y'all remember 1 Corinthians. Book 1 Corinthians. In the Bible. New Testament. There it is. Yep. Uh, Paul writes to the church. There's a cat in the church. Y'all don't believe this. It's foul. It look like Maury all up in 1 Corinthians, y'all. This cat has his father's wife. Yeah, you heard it right. The son... Is sleeping with his mama. Crazy. Messed up, jacked up stuff. And the church ain't did nothing about it. Nope, didn't do anything. You know, they probably throwing around that term, that, that little phrase we like to throw around. Uh, 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 you can't judge nobody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people be misusing that because they don't be reading all the scripture, right? They go talk about take the plank out your eye and all that, and we don't supposed to judge one another. But Paul says... Why haven't y'all judged this mess? Kick him out of the church. Injustice cannot be in the house of God. He's arrogant, repentant. Hand him over to Satan so that his soul may be saved. Watch justice now. Justice is going to show you that you foul, you messed up, and you're in need of a Savior. And so they give him justice, y'all. When you get to 2 Corinthians, the boy didn't cried. He's broken. He's sorrowful. And Paul says, don't y'all leave him out there by himself. He's repentant. Bring him back into the fold and love on him because he's sorrowful and repentant. See, what we have to understand, y'all, is that Mercy and forgiveness work together, but repentance is the link. And shame on you if somebody repents and you can't forgive after God in Christ has forgiven you. But, Pastor, shouldn't they fix what they broke? Yeah, but not out of paying for forgiveness, but out of being forgiven. Y'all remember Zacchaeus? He robbed a whole lot of folks. He jacked up a whole lot of folks. And Jesus says, today, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your crib. And he went to Zacchaeus' crib, and Zacchaeus said what? 
everything that I took from people, I'm going to give four times, six times back even more. What did he do? He fixed what he broke, but he did not fix it to get right. He fixed it because he was right. And the evidence of repentance and true salvation is that we fix what we broke. And when we aren't willing to fix what we broke, we are not truly repentant. Oh, I wish I had time to break this down some more, but I got to keep moving because y'all came to find out what true worship is. True worship, yes, friends, does justice. Yes, it loves mercy, but it walks humbly with God. Here it is. He says walk. means literally to walk, but figuratively, as in the verse speaks of how one conducts himself in daily life. It speaks of one's behavior, one's lifestyle. God wants us to be humble as we do Life. Some of y'all cringing already. But what does it mean to be humble? See, I found in church that we shout over a lot of stuff that we actually don't understand. Yeah, it's, it's, it's true. It's true. We, we, we say a lot of words that we don't understand. We do backflips over stuff that we don't plan to live out. And so I want to give it to you plain. What does it mean to be humble, to walk humble with God? Here it is. It means to submit to God. James called for believers to submit to God. James 4, 7. Listen, you can talk about how humble you are all you want. But we'll know if you're humble by if you're willing to submit to God. Find it all the time. People who claim that they're so humble. And then they end up in my office, and I got to talk to them about submitting to the word, and you find out that they're not as humble as you thought that they were. No, no, no. Well, it ready to cuss the past out, too. Because those who have really learned anything in life realize that God knows everything and you know nothing. Therefore, we have learned to submit to him. I wish I had some folks in the room that's been doing life long enough that have come to the conclusion, have come to the resolve that God knows what he's talking about, and I ought to submit to him than listening to myself. The best worship is a life that's in harmony with God. Those kids on Sister Act became great when they learned how to submit to Sister Mary Clarence. You say, how do I become humble? First, note the intimacy in this verse, the communion, the camaraderie. He says to walk with God, to talk with God. He says, walk humbly with your God. That's a relationship that leads to humility. I would advise everyone in the room to not try to be humble, but to be humbled. Be humble by walking with Christ. Those who walk humble have been walking with God. Friends, you don't have the power within yourself to walk humbly. You really don't. You really don't. We humans are one air. We are so arrogant. We are so lofty in our own eyes. And the only way you become humble is by walking with God, abiding in God taking on the mind of Christ, according to Philippians 2.5. But, Pastor, practically, what does humility look like? If you want to walk in humility, you need two legs. Here it is. You need justice and you need mercy. 
but you will not give God your legs if you do not give God your heart. So what's the bottom line here? What does God want from us? What is good worship music to him? It's spirit. What is spiritual worship to God? Not external, not outward gifts, but the heart. It is one, one preacher put it this way. If thou wilt bring an offering, bring thyself. There is no other gift that the Lord so much desires. Worship team is coming back at this time. Jesus lived a just life. Did he not? Did he not do the things that we could not do? Did he not uphold the law? Did he not keep every one of his father's commands? Did he not treat the widow with respect? Did he not uplift women although they were oppressed? Did he not love the Samaritan although they were discriminated against? Did he not touch the sick? Did he not love the least of thee? Did Jesus Christ himself not walk justly? Did he not take up the plea for those who couldn't speak up for themselves? Did he not uphold those who were powerless? Jesus Christ lived a just life, but he also lived a merciful life. He was a God of mercy, was he not? Did he not forgive your sin? Did he not forgive my sin? Did he reject anyone who came to him in repentance? Did he turn anyone away that said that they were wrong, that they messed up, that they jacked up? Did he not love them? That ought to be your song right there because that's how you got close to God because God showed mercy to your soul. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And so if you're looking for an example of what good worship sounds like, it is wrapped up, it is summed up in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm talking about the Jesus that went to Calvary and they stretched him wide and they lift him high and they put a nail in his hands and a crown of thorns on his feet and they pierced his side and he died, y'all. He died into death died. He died until the sun wouldn't shine no more. But friends, on the third day, he rose from the dead with all power in his hands, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and now he's looking for worshipers. Those who will sing to him. Those who will walk with him. Those who will talk with him. And not just this individualistic worship, but he's looking for those who will love their neighbor. Open up their home for the poor. Speak up for those who can't speak up for themselves. God's looking for real worship. God's not impressed by your singing. He's not impressed by your church attendance. But friends, when you stand up with every breath in your body and you say, I'm not going to sit by and watch my sister be mistreated, God says, that's my boy. When you stand up for the kids who are getting swallowed up by the school-to-prison pipeline, God says, that's my girl. And when we do that, we let our light shine. And when our light shines, God gets glory in the house. That's right. The Bible says, let your light shine. So let your good works be seen before man that you may bring glory to your father. I wish I had some folks in here that were real worshipers. I wish I had some folks in here that are really sing with their life and not just with their mouth. I wish I had some folks in here that are sing with their feet and not just with their mouth. I wish I had some folks in here that are sing with their hands and they'll sing with their sacrifice. I wish I had some folks in here who determine and declare 
My life is not my own. Oh, to him I owe. Jesus died that I may lay down. My, I wish I had some folks in here who are not concerned about cute worship, who is not concerned about dressing, but instead are concerned about people who are in the slums, those who don't have anything. I wish we had a real church that showed their heart. We got to be like the tin man. By the, at the end of the day, we want people to declare there is a God. Why? Because they see him in you. You know what the old folks used to say? You may be the closest thing to Jesus. You ought to walk like Jesus. You may be the only Bible that they ever read. And so, friends, I'm kind of coming to you today saying that we ought to live justice. We ought to live mercy. Friends, something happens when people see that you've been through a hard time. You done had some folks mistreat you. You done had some folks do you wrong. And although they did you wrong and they repented and they asked for your forgiveness and somehow, some way, you didn't only just forgive them, but you started walking with them again. And friends, when the world looks on that, they know that we're not just proclaiming Jesus is resurrected, but he's actually alive. Alive where? He's alive in you. He's alive in you, that he's real. Friends, this is why worship has to go beyond the sanctuary and into the streets. This is why when you exit those doors on the Fifth Avenue, please take your worship with you. Please don't leave it in the sanctuary, but take it to the streets. Do something with your Christianity. Don't you dare soak in the love of God. Don't you dare soak in the knowledge of God. Don't you dare boast about the cross and exit those doors and act like you ain't heard nothing. Don't you dare shout about mercy and can't give mercy. Don't you dare shout about justice and don't seek justice for others. Don't do that. Don't you go to your grave being a phony Christian when you can be a real one. Pinocchio hoped to be a real boy, but you can be real. And some of us got to come to grips with the man in the mirror. And we got to ask ourselves, are we really worshiping God? Or are we just excited because we know how to listen to good preaching? Or are we excited because we can quote scripture and those things are good? But this false dichotomy, this separation between your orthodoxy and your orthopraxy needs to end today. Do justice. Love and mercy. It's going to inconvenience you. It's going to cost you. But you won't be more satisfied when you walk in true worship. God has scratched the board this morning. Are you willing to listen? And are you willing to do? Every head back.